So last weekend was a big weekend in the life of the church. There was a retreat Friday to Saturday, we called the Transformation Weekend. But it was also a big weekend in the life of our country. There was an inauguration on Friday, and then there was a number of demonstrations and protests on Saturdays. And when we go away on retreats, we try to, um, you know, shut off your phone and put away your devices and turn off the news. But there was so much going on. Saturday morning, I got up and I said, look, I got to... I want to hear what people are saying. I want to know what, what's the stories here and, and uh, just kind of stay informed. So Saturday morning, got up, and I, I opened my device, and I went to the news, and I clicked Inauguration News. And what was the top story? It was not about a peaceful transfer of power. It wasn't about foreign policy, foreign relations. It wasn't about immigration. It wasn't about uh, women's rights. Or it wasn't about any of these things. The top story that hit this news site was about fashion. What was everybody wearing at the inauguration? Look how elegant, you know, this, uh, the outgoing first lady, and then the new first lady, and then who, the, the ball gowns, and who was the designer, and how did they look? And, um, and my first thought was, come on, people. You know, why are we so obsessed with looks and fashion and all these things? And, uh, I was, so I, I thought, with all the important things that we could talk about and, and ideas and conflicting political ideas, this is the top story was fashion. And then I thought to myself, I have to preach a sermon on clothing. This is brilliant. Clothing is very important. And I, I, this, is, this, is the, uh, this is what I, I, I need to focus on. And, and I was thinking about fashion and inauguration and... and Honestly, it was, a, it was a cold day. It was a rainy day. And my hope, you know, I'm not concerned how people look. You know, are people comfortable? Are they dry and warm? You know, I'm more functional when I think about these things. So one of my favorite images from the inauguration was this guy who's, uh, st you know, struggling with his attire a little bit. This was our former president who was having a little trouble with his poncho. And then the next one actually kind of sums it up. That's kind of <laughs> how he was feeling. Trying to stay dry. So my concern is that are people staying dry and warm? Other people are concerned, you know, who designed this outfit or dress or whatever. But clothing is important. Actually, in the Bible, you could tell the whole story of the Bible through the through the lens of clothing. You know, God creates the world, it is good. People are at peace with each other and with God. There's no clothing. There's no shame. There's they're just naked and in God's presence, and it's great. But what happens? People sin. People believe the lie of the enemy, and they go against God's way. And the first thing that happens is when sin enters the world, there is guilt, and there is shame, and they're hiding from God. So now the relationship with God is broken, and the relationship with each other is broken, and they're covering their, themselves up. But what does God do? God comes in, and he pronounces, yes, a curse has entered the world. But he clothes Adam and Eve. He makes clothes for them. And it's a beautiful image of God in, in the midst of our sin and brokenness, that God covers our sin, our guilt, and our shame. And ultimately, we understand through Jesus that Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He was stripped and beaten and exposed uh, on the cross and dies in our place that we can be clothed with his righteousness and his goodness. And we can put on this new way, this new life. So, you, if you, you know, clothing is a great biblical image for us, so we're going to focus on that today. It's, it's just a good image because clothing is intentional. You get up in the morning, of all the decisions you have to make in a day, you have to decide what to wear. 
All of you got up today, you had to decide to wear that you were wearing that today. Most of you did a decent job. The, <laughs> but I know in some families, it can be a contentious time. Like, what's okay to wear to school or to this event or that event? And, you know, families with teenagers and apparently even younger, hypothetically, even elementary age, these discussions can crop up. Now, for me, I grew up in the age of fashion that was just fantastic. When I was in high school, the grunge look was in. So you, to look good, you had to look like you just rolled out of bed. That's fantastic. You get up, you put on your jeans, your dad's flannel shirt, which is way too big and it's gross and dirty, and, and you show up to school and you look good. Male and female, your dad's flannel shirt and the jeans, and that was the look, and what a fantastic, I am grateful for those years. And so it was very easy for me. The, but there is a sense of self-expression self in clothing. So whatever you choose to put on says something about you or you're trying to present a certain way to the world around you. Um, I, I came across a book written by a psychologist that describes how the clothing that you wear and your fashion choices are connected to inner unresolved conflicts that you have. So the psychologist could see what you're wearing and kind of tell your, your life baggage and your story. And I, I don't know, I don't know about that. But what I do know is that how we dress does portray something to the world around us. Here in this passage says, you are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. loved. Clothe yourselves in a certain way. Clothe yourselves with these virtues. This is going to be how you express yourself. This is how you're going to be intentional with your life. You're going to put these, you're going to cover yourself and put these virtues on. And every day you get up, just as every day you get up and choose what to wear, may we learn to, to put these things on in our lives. So I want to look at this, but let me pray as we begin. So Father God, as we've gathered in this room, we, we come from different places and we come with, a, with different states of our heart, Lord. Some of us are very eager to be here and ready to experience you. Others come here with hurts and barriers that we put up, even doubts that we have in you, Lord. Whatever the state of our heart, Lord, we pray that you would break in, that by your Holy Spirit, you would invade our hearts to know your heart, to know your way. Lord, help us to be obedient to whatever you teach us during this time. We give it to you. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So this passage of Scripture comes from the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And we've been looking at different passages from this letter together. It was not a very important place. It wasn't a political center. It wasn't a major center of trade or travel. It was fairly important, but not real important. Kind of normal working class people working hard to make a living. And he's writing to them, and Paul didn't know them. He had never met them but he discipled somebody who taught them the gospel. And he writes them, the, good, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And he writes to them to say, that gospel, that good news that you heard was true. And I know it because it's bearing fruit in your lives. It's, it's multiplying and growing. And his instruction was, just stick to it. Stay with Jesus. Don't fall away. Continue in Christ. Don't fall into legalism or other religious ideas. Just continue in God's grace. And there's things that you can put away from your life and, and sin and things that will drag you down. And there's things that you can put on. And that's where we get to here in the letter in chapter 3. 
This is how you're going to clothe yourselves. And I want to look at five aspects of it. So there's a lot, but let's, we'll get there. Um, I want to talk about the calling of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, and the name of Christ. Calling, forgiveness, peace, word, name. Uh, those five things, these will all help us to clothe ourselves well with Jesus. The first is the calling of Christ. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, <laughs> humility, gentleness, and patience. Jump down to verse 14. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. He tells them first that there's a call on your life because you are a chosen people. You are holy people. Holy meaning set apart for God's purposes. You are dearly loved. You are a beloved people. These are the same titles that, that the Bible uses to describe the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, God is unveiling his saving work in the world. He's revealing himself to the world. They were known as God's chosen people. They were known as a set apart holy people, as a, a people who were beloved of the Lord. And now those same titles are for you, followers of Jesus. There's a new nation. There's a new kingdom that has been begun in Jesus Christ that's for all people who by faith follow Jesus. We are a new, there's a new way of life that you can live out. And it's all because you've been called to it by Jesus. And I, it's important that we say that first and that we consider that first because otherwise this becomes a to-do list. You know, be more kind, be more patient, be more gentle. It's about us trying hard. But what Paul is saying is, look, no, you have been so loved. You have been so chosen and set apart that you can live a way of life that reflects that, that flows from that. It's not clothing that you make and trying to figure out. These are clothes that have been bought for you and given to you. You just got to put them on. That's the, that's the foundation of the calling of Christ. Now look at the list. Compassion. This is, uh, it's a beautiful word. It, it, it's actually two words in the original. And the, the, old King James, uh, the Old King James Bible translates it as two words. Bowels of mercy. Isn't that great? Bowels of mercy. It's this deep down inside you, compassion and love for your fellow man that we can have. And we, we think of Christ and, his, and God and his, his love for humanity that he created and he seeks to redeem. We can live a life of compassion. Kindness, in, in a word that's actually not used that much in the New Testament. Kindness is, is it's used also to describe God's kindness to us in Jesus. Again, we are rebels against God's way. We have all sinned, every single one of us. Not just the sin we inherit, but the sin that we commit. And the, and the ways that we don't love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And all those things, yet God in his kindness reaches, enters into humanity and serves and loves and gives his life. That's the kindness of God, and that's the kindness we can put on in our lives. Humility. Humility is a very Christian concept. In, in ancient Greek language, there isn't even a word for humility as we understand it in Jesus. They had words that meant humble in the sense of somebody who was a slave or a servant, somebody who did menial tasks. But in Jesus, we see humility as somebody willing to put aside their own status and authority and consider others better than themselves. Humility, in a couple senses, as a Christian, understanding that God is creator, and God created me, that means I'm a created being. 
That means there's just the humility of being a creature. That I am not God. I am not the creator. I've been created. So that brings humility. But also, as a Christian, knowing that I didn't do anything to earn God's favor. God didn't extend his grace to me because I was so good or because I was so capable. God extended his grace to me just because he wanted to. Just because he is that gracious and that giving of a God. So in humility, I'm not any better than anyone else on earth. And it just it brings this true humility. So compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. It is so easy to hurt. It is so easy to hurt other people with our words, with actions, to be hurt by things that people have said or things that people have not said. Yet Jesus shows us gentleness. The God of the universe doesn't shout down from heaven about how broken and sinful we are. He comes as a baby, gentle, humble, and comes to take on the form of a servant and to give his life on the cross. That is gentleness, not yelling from the sky. And that's a gentleness we can put on. Patience and long-suffering, being willing to, to wait for things. This is a fruit that the Spirit of God develops in us. And and lastly, love. And love binds all these other ones together in perfect unity. Love is a supreme virtue. Without love, you can't live out these other things. You can't have have true compassion and kindness and gentleness without love. Those other things become distorted without love. They become unbalanced without love. Love is the ultimate virtue. And it binds them all together, meaning all these virtues are one beautiful outfit that we can put on, that we can clothe ourselves with. Not just one of these things. You know, you wouldn't just pick one article of clothing to wear. You put on a whole outfit, and love binds it all together. If I were to wear my kindness shirts, oh, JP, you wore your kindness shirt today. You seem to have forgot your humility pants. It's all silly, right? You have to, you have to wear it all. You have to put on all the clothing. And love is going to bind that all together into just a perfect display of, of just this virtuous way that we can live in light of our calling in Christ. Notice what's not on this list. Notice it doesn't say clothe yourselves with being diligent and industrious and efficient and excellent. Those are good things. But these are all relational words. This is all about how we treat one another. This is how we relate to one another. We are called to be a community that reflects Christ, not just individuals. Now, being efficient and excellent, those are good things, and the Bible commends those in other places. But the essence of the Christian community is relationship. That's why we've modeled the ministry of this church to help people get into relationships with one another. That's why we point people to small group ministry. That we were never meant to live out these things individually, but in in community, in fellowship with other believers, so that we can express them together and encourage you you to connect or reconnect with a a small group where we can live this out together. But it's not a to-do list. It's our calling in Christ because we are chosen, we are loved, and we are set apart for his good purposes. We can put all these things on. It's the calling of Christ. Second thing, the forgiveness of Christ. And I I set this one apart from the others because, well, let's just take a look. Verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. 
If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. This one seems harder than the others. I look at this list of things to put on and I say, kindness, yeah, I want to be more kind. I want to be more gentle and I could really grow in patience. Forgiveness, if I have to, if I must, I'll forgive because I'm supposed to. I suppose it's, it's hard to want it in the same way. But what a bold statement. What a bold spiritual fashion statement it makes when Christians forgive one another. I mentioned earlier that the Transformation Weekend, over, it's just an overnight retreat. One of the core things that we work on on that experience is forgiveness. Forgiving people in our past and, and forgiving people who have, who have hurt us or neglected us in different ways. And, have wronged us. And when we can extend forgiveness, just as the Lord has forgiven us, it frees us up. We're just so free to experience more of his love and more of his forgiveness that we need as we extend it to others. And it's just, for many people who've been through that process, it's just very transformational in a lot of ways. This is Christians forgiving each other. It's almost like God knew. It's almost like the Apostle Paul knew as he writes this, that one of the hardest things would be for us as Christians to get along with each other, to forgive one another, to bear with one another. That's why he teaches things like when he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, that we should strive and work as hard as we can to maintain unity and forgiveness. Where Jesus prays for his followers and he said, Lord, may they be one as you, Father, and I are one. There's just, forgiveness is so foundational. And Jesus did know. And the Apostle Paul, as he's writing under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, he knows that this is a virtue of forgiving one another that is going to be fundamental to our walk and to, our, to how we clothe ourselves. The forgiveness of Christ. Thirdly, the peace of Christ. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Now this isn't, he's not talking about inner peace here. You're letting the peace of, the peace of God sort of be your inner way. It's about communal peace here. This is flowing right from talking about forgiving each other. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. It, rule it means it's an athletic image. It's about an umpire or a judge. Let the peace of Christ be the umpire in your life. Let the peace of God be the rule. So that when you have a situation, when you have a problem, the thing that's the arbiter, the judge, the umpire, is going to be God's peace. That God's peace is going to make the decision. God's peace is going to settle the dispute. If, if God's peace is not the thing that is the judge or the umpire, what is the judge or umpire? What is in control? Things like fear could be put in that place. Anxiety. Self-protection, self-preservation, all these things could become the rule. When you're in a dispute, when you're having trouble, you can, you can make your own self-protection the judge and you're going to have a very different outcome than if, you, if the umpire of your life is the peace of God and the peace that Christ came 
to establish in this world. It's the peace of Christ. Fourth, the word of Christ. Verse 16. Let the message of Christ, or the word of Christ, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Let the word of Christ, so this is the message in the word, all that Christ spoke and all that he demonstrated and all that he accomplished, let that dwell in you. And it's not the same word abide that we've, we've focused on. Actually, early, earlier this month, Javi was uh, preaching on remaining or abiding in, in Christ, where Christ said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Anyone who abides or anybody who remains in me will bear much fruit, and apart from me you can do nothing. It's a different word, but it's certainly the same idea that Christ is the source, not the resource. We often look at God as a resource in our life. If I'm in trouble, I go to God. If I have a need, I can go there. If I need comfort, I go to God. God's a resource for me to go to when I need him. That's not this idea. The idea of dwelling and abiding means that he's not the resource. He's the source. He's the one from whom all, these, all the rest of my life gets lived out. All these virtues can be known and experienced and lived out in the life of the believer. It's not a resource because if you cut the vine off the branch, it can't survive. It's not that you can take it off and then put it back on and replug it in. No, it's a remaining. It's this dwelling. And when, the, when, the, when Christ and his word dwells in us, then these things can flow. And we can clothe ourselves this way. And we can teach and admonish one another, as it says here. Notice that it's not written... Uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as I, Paul, the apostle, teach you. And as Epaphras, my disciple, has taught you. He said, no, you're going to teach and admonish one another. Again, this is lived out in community. As God's word is in us, we can all encourage one another and teach one another and push one another towards these good things. That we can all be teachers. Again, I commend small group life to you where it's not just one person teaching but a community of believers helping each other and teaching one another and it's beautiful and it's not you know pointing out you know being busy any busy bodies in each other's lives and pointing out each other's faults it's it's a teaching and admonishing that is it's through wisdom through singing and psalms hymns and spiritual songs it's there's joy in this way of life and Christians sing. Christians have always sung. Historians right from the beginning of the Christian church that Christians were known to sing. They were known to sing songs that Jesus was God and singing was just part of our way. It's part of the way of our life together. And people who, aren't, who, who haven't been part of our church are struck by that. I've had people visit and say, you're kind of a singy church. Yeah, we are. We certainly are. And when people explore faith in the Alpha Course, you know, part of this exploration of who was God and what is the purpose of life and some of these big questions, we gather and we eat together and we sing. And people say, well, I get it. You know, you, we eat food together and we discuss ideas, but the singing's weird. We say, just keep singing. And we, people do evaluation at the end of the course and they say, what was your least favorite part of this Alpha Course? They say, the singing. 
and they say, what was your favorite part of the course? And they say, the food and my new friends and singing. And it hits right at the top of the list. Because as we come to know the Lord, as, we, as his word is dwelling in us, as, as, it, as it richly dwells in us, as it says here, it just brings about song. It brings about singing and joy. And it's three things here. Psalms, which means a spiritual song. Hymns, and the word there means spiritual song. And song from the Spirit. It's the same thing. He's not talking about three different styles of music. It's, it's just three expressions of really saying the same thing, is that as we live this way of life, songs come with it. Songs from the heart and from the Spirit just, just flow. It's not the... It's not the style of music, but it's the content. It's the word of God that is richly dwelling, that brings it about. And it's, this is really important for us because culturally, we've, we don't sing along culturally like we used to. And you, you just don't see people just getting together and, hey, let's just sing along together. We don't see as much of that. When I was a kid, I thought it was all very normal. My dad, one of his first jobs uh, when he was a teenager growing up in Nashua, he worked at Shakey's Pizza. Anybody familiar with Shakey's Pizza? So it's more of a West Coast thing at this point. But So we would go to Shakey's and get pizza, but music was always a part of Shakey's. So you'd show up, and there's somebody with a banjo, and the, these guys with their barbershop hats, and they would just start a sing-along, and everybody would just sing along. And it was just, you eat pizza and sing, and that's what you do. And I grew up in church, and we did a lot of singing. and it was. But you don't see as much of that today. I mean, maybe you go to a karaoke bar, and that's, you know, people. But even that's one person or two people you know, performing or trying to perform. And it's actually pretty fun. But, but it, that people would gather together and that they would sing in joy together. That is one of the, just the hallmarks of, God, of this Christ dwelling in us and his word dwelling in us. That's the word of Christ. Fifthly, lastly, the name of Christ. Look at verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here now we have a major expansion of everything that's been said to this point. So he's talking about living together, you know, clothe yourselves with these virtues, forgiving one another, uh, letting the peace of Christ rule in your heart, you know, teaching and encouraging one another. Now he expands it and says, now everything. Whatever you do in your everyday, basically, the way that we treat one another, the way we live in community together, we take that with us when we scatter. When we go into our places of work, into our neighborhoods, into our schools, when we, when we leave that fellowship, we take those same virtues with us. Now, whatever you do, you can live them out in your everyday, on your front lines. So whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus, two things with that. One, in the name of means representing. I'm doing something in someone else's name. So I represent Jesus as I speak and as I act. In the name of also means empowered by or under the authority of. So I do it on behalf of Jesus, under the authority and empowered by Jesus to do this, I can now live out a way of life in his name, giving thanks to God the Father. And notice the thankfulness, verse 15. 
Be thankful. Verse 16, with gratitude in your hearts. Verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father. This is gratitude is just a, is a big part of this, but we, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, we do it in the name of Jesus. So the test for you tomorrow when you get up is this. Whatever you do tomorrow, ask yourself, can I do this calling on the name of Jesus? Can I do this thing in the name of Jesus? That's a good test. The second test, when you go to speak, can I speak these words and speak the name Jesus with them? If we were to use that as the standard, it would change the way we live. Can I take this action in the calling on the name of Jesus? Can I speak these words, breathing the name Jesus as I live? And whatever we do in word or deed, we can do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that's our clothes. That's what we can put on every day, all these things. And I love the image because it's active. We're going we're gonna to actively put these things on. And however we live it out as a community together, we take it with us to the world around us. And if we live this way, this would change the world. This will absolutely change the culture of your workplace. It will change the culture of your house. It will change the world. If we lived this way as we gather, we'd be living in perfect harmony. We'd be living this new kingdom in this new way that God designed for us and he's laid it out for us and here's your clothes to put on. So as we consider that, I just want to close by just, I just want God's word to just dwell in us richly. I just want to reflect on it one more time. So I'm just going to read these words again. I don't, really don't have anything to add to them. But just where you're seated, if you just close your eyes and hear now God's word, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. In whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.